0: My name is Glenn Davis, Director of Research here with the Council of Institutional Investors. And on today's podcast, we're going to be taking a few minutes to pull back the curtain, so to speak, to understand the work done by proxy advisors that precedes the release of their reports on pivotal votes. Particularly, we're going to be talking about cases where shareholders are being asked to choose between two competing visions for a company's future and board seats are at stake. Joining us by phone to tell us how the sausage gets made is Cristiano Guerra. Executive Director of M&A and Contested Elections for Institutional Shareholder Services. Welcome, Cristiano.
1: Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with just a question about staffing. It's an understatement to say there are a lot of moving parts when making judgments about which side of a contest has the best chance of driving long-term value. How do you staff a team to cover every proxy contest rigorously?
1: Right. Well, you know, proxy contests, they've really evolved in recent years. For one, they've become a lot more complex, but they've also grown significantly in size. I think when you look at one of the clearest takeaways from this past proxy season was the fact that that market cap is no longer a deterrent to activism, uh, especially when you look at at P&G. And it takes a a good amount of time and effort to properly assess high-profile contests, especially when they're clustered together. This June, for instance, we saw a record eight contests in eight days. So in response, we've significantly expanded the SSR team. We now have six analysts in the U.S. and two in Europe. And when you look at the arguments that are presented in contests, these are increasingly informed by legal advisors, investment banks, proxy solicitors, and more and more um, these multi-discipline advisors. So I've tried to shape our SSR team accordingly. So now we have analysts with legal backgrounds, investment backgrounds, governance backgrounds, and we also have um, a few CFAs, which has been very useful uh, given that we've got a a growing number of contested economic transactions that that keep going to a vote. So we've, we've been very fortunate in recruiting analysts with very complimentary skills and Uh, Several of us also have very long ISS tenures, which ensures a consistent approach when we look at these contested situations. Um, And and lastly, we can also leverage um, other teams within ISS for their topical expertise. For for instance, when um, executive compensation is a key component of uh, of a contest, uh, we can loop in our executive compensation team. Or when we are looking at uh, international contests, as we did recently with uh, Sina Corporation, we can also leverage our, our local market experts um, for, for their knowledge as well.
0: Could you just walk us through the review process that leads up to that report?
1: Sure. Um, you know, the, the primary goal for us is always an independent analysis that, that focuses on the, the optimal path to long-term value creation. and and our neutrality really is the the cornerstone of that process. So we follow a well-established framework that seeks to answer two basic questions. The first one is, is change warranted at the board level? And the second is, who are the best nominees to to drive that change? The bar for us obviously is significantly higher uh, when activists are looking for control of the board. And when we look at a contested situation, we don't give established activists uh, benefit of the doubt. Um, I think they need to present a compelling argument each time, and they also need to present a solution that's commensurate with the problems that they've identified. Um, at the same time, we give no deference to an incumbent board simply because they're the incumbents. Um, as part of our process, we will engage with both sides, and we take great pains to ensure that both sides are given an equal opportunity to, to present their arguments. Um, we also conduct a, a fair amount of inbound engagement with investors. And these, unlike the meetings that we have with Dissident and the company, um, these are calls that are held on a confidential basis, uh, which allows the investors to, to be very candid in their views. We, we will always hear the views of um, our SSR subscribers, but we also consider the opinions of significant investors who may not be ISS subscribers, I think particularly those who, who've who been in the stock for many years um, and who might have a, a deep understanding of what drives long-term value for that specific company or industry sector. Um, certainly, we'll, we'll make sure to engage uh, with any shareholders who have expressed their views uh, on a contest publicly. And... You know, the, the shareholders that we speak with, they, they'll, they'll range from institutional investors to ARBs. So we, we certainly hear diverse views from folks with very diverse uh, investment horizons, but our analysis is always going to be skewed towards a, uh, a long-term view.
0: Okay, and how important are the face-to-face meetings, and how do you make sure that you maintain that neutrality even when you're meeting in person?
1: You know, in-person meetings are are, are always more interesting, uh, for sure. Um, given the time constraints, though, and resource constraints, we conduct in-person meetings at, at our discretion, um, generally with larger companies or in high-profile situations. But in in any case, if we offer the opportunity to one side to have an in-person meeting as opposed to a phone call, we'll extend the same opportunity to to the other side to keep things very balanced. The in-person meetings, they're, they can be very informative. What they help us do is, is really connect the dots, right, of the, the many data points that are presented on the, on the decks that, that the dissidents and, and the companies put out. But we also make it – we make very clear that we can only work with public information. We always remind both sides of that ground rule right from the start and the fact that we also highlight the fact that there should be no expectation of confidentiality in regard to any questions or issues that are brought up during the meeting. You know, in terms of who should attend these meetings, uh, we, we leave that to, to the two sides to, to decide. I think who they bring or who they don't bring, uh, that for us is a, is a very interesting data point in itself. However, targeted nominees uh, are, are an obvious choice to attend. Um, increasingly CFOs, given the, the operational nature of many of the contests that we're seeing, um, are also frequent attendees. The one thing I, I, I get asked quite a bit um, uh, about, you know, whether companies or, or even activists should bring their advisors with them. I would recommend against that unless those advisors have something very specific to add to the discussion. You know, after all, I think I don't know that you necessarily want your investment banker uh, explaining something to us rather than your own CEO or your CFO. And in in terms of, I think, what makes for a really good presentation, from the dissident side, what we're looking for is a very clearly articulated argument that's based on fact, and that demonstrates a strong understanding of the business. We're looking for what really is the focus of, of the dissident argument. There is a tendency, I think, in many contests from the dissident side to kind of throw the kitchen sink at us. Uh, you know, there are all of these things are wrong with the company. There's compensation. There's governance. There's this, and and at times, certainly there is a there is a holistic approach to to the contest. But what we want to see is what really is the heart of the uh, of, of the uh, of the argument. And. You know, it's, it's not from the dissident perspective. It, it's not enough to, to simply point out the, the obvious problems. A, a compelling, minimally invasive solution that carefully considers the downside risks will, will always be the most convincing. And, and from the company side, what we're looking for is, is really an honest assessment that's devoid of gamesmanship. We, we're looking for evidence of forethought and board refreshment something that positions the company to address not only its current problems, but, but also its future challenges. And, and most importantly, we're also looking for clear indication that the concerns of, of shareholders, including the dissent, have been properly considered.
0: Thanks. So, and taking a sidebar for a moment here, uh, we've noticed an increase in split cases where uh, perhaps some candidates on the distant side make the most sense and some candidates on management side make the most sense, uh, but it's not always easy to, to split a vote in a contested situation based on logistics of, of voting and U.S. proxy rules. There is a proposal on the table that would allow shareholders to use one card to vote for any combination that they prefer, but adoption of that rule is low on the list of priorities right now at the SEC. Is this just a technical issue being blown out of proportion, or do you think that there's um, value here in um, improving um, what shareholders actually uh, want to support in these contests?
1: No, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe that the, the ability to cast votes for candidates of their choice, regardless of slate, is, would be the best option for shareholders. I think the, the two-card system that we have today It it creates significant potential for unintended consequences, and that's, I think that's a, that's a a very significant problem. And, you know, there's resistance, I think, particularly on the corporate side to the universal card, but uh, honestly, overall, I think that a universal card would present a lot less risk for companies. I think I assess when you look at some of our recommendations historically, we'll often support a partial dissident slate. And those dissidents often end up winning more seats than we recommend. Um, so I think that that's something that, that, that uh, ought to be considered. Um, in terms of how, you know, a universal card would impact our analysis, it would, would allow us to, to really fine-tune our recommendation to that minimally invasive solution that I referenced earlier. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily recommend for more dissident nominees um, if a universal card were used simply on a comparative basis. Uh, the dissident still has, under our framework, to to make the case, uh, and and the case has to be commensurate with the the solution proposed. Um, but overall, I think the ability to to take a, a more uh, surgical approach, I think that would probably force both sides to um, to really put forward stronger nominees and to focus on appropriate refreshment. I believe that we already produce very nuanced recommendations. You know, we're not simply making a for or against recommendation. The goal for us has always been to provide our clients with a useful, thoughtful, independent analysis. And what a universal card would allow us to do is to just waste a lot less time on thinking through the potential unintended risks of our recommendation.
0: Your team also invests energy investigating non-contentious proposals and any proposals when there seems to be something amiss from the shareholders' perspective. Uh, could you give us some color into how that plays out with the broader ISS team?
1: Sure. So the SSR team currently reviews the analyses of uncontested economic proposals that are written by the, um, uh, the industry sector teams within our benchmark group. So sometimes those analysts that, that work on those uh, uh, reports They'll raise red flags when they see something unusual. It can be uh, poor disclosure or, or it can just be terms that don't seem to add up. For instance, you know, why, why are the shareholders of a target company and a merger being offered a valuation that's disconnected from that of their peers? So we can collaborate with them or take over the analysis at that point. And often what we'll do is we'll reach out to the companies. Um, Uh, to to get additional color or clarification. And sometimes these concerns can be explained in the report, and sometimes they rise to the level of warranting a a negative recommendation. So – but overall, um, we we still recommend against less than 5% of uncontested mergers. And when you consider how many mergers truly create long-term value for shareholders, I think that 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 still remains a pretty conservative number.
0: Cristiano Guerra, Executive Director of MA and Contested Elections for ISS. Thank you for being with us today.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Glenn.